Hello and welcome to the latest edition of uh, Pigs Today, the podcast brought to you by Pig World. Uh, today we're focusing entirely on uh, labour, uh, labour shortages, uh, the causes, um, the solutions and what exactly the government's going to do about it. Because we've just seen uh, the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Committee's excellent report on labour shortages. Uh, and I'm delighted to say we're joined by Neil Parrish, uh, chair of the uh, committee. So uh, welcome, Neil. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for, for, for coming on. And I think let's get straight to the point. You, you pulled no punches whatsoever in this report. And I think as, uh, for, for context, we all went through what happened last year. We experienced it. Yet the, one of the frustrations in the industry was the government just didn't seem willing to acknowledge it, acknowledge the cause of the labour shortages, acknowledge there was a problem, there's a lot of deflection, um, a lot of putting the blame elsewhere, and not much attempt at solutions. I think, to be fair, it's a good report, a very good report, and you've tried to cut right through that. Is, is that right? Yeah, I think the the particular thing that I was concerned about was that the Home Office actually has their Migration Advisory Committee that actually advised to put, you know, pork butchers on the skilled workers visa sort of as early as sort of last summer. Um, and and they didn't do it. The Home Office did not. And I think that is the, the issue. Now, eventually, uh, we got dragged them screaming um, into the right place. But, um, you know, what I'm hoping this report will do is let's, for goodness sake, learn the lessons. Um, and also, as you know, the minister um, came before the select committee, said the level of English was not high for a pork butcher, only for us to find out afterwards that it was the same level has asked for a vet, veterinary surgeon um, or a doctor. Now, you know, pig butchers need to have enough English to be able to look after themselves when they're here, uh, but they don't need that level of English. So lots of things could have been done better. And of course, the bureaucracy of the whole thing still needs to be sorted out. And then I think perhaps in a minute, we ought to talk a little bit about did the processors um, take the visas up quite as quickly as they should? Well, there you go. And, and before we get on to that, there's a couple of things you just mentioned there that could be done relatively quickly. Uh, the English language requirements, the short, shortage occupation list, which is something that the processors and the industry have actually been talking about for a long time. But there's been a, I think, an ideological um, uh, kind of response to that from government. And it comes back to my very first point that you do address in the report. For a long time, they didn't really seem to want to acknowledge the problem, to engage with the industry. I mean, that is sh something that surely came out in your inquiry and that's something that features quite heavily in your report. I mean, how do you yeah. see that? Yes, that's precisely the case. And I think one of the issues was originally, I think the Home Office probably thought, as many of us probably thought, that once furlough finished, uh, there was going to be quite a lot of labour on the market. But of course, those looking for jobs have got absolutely huge choice now. And there's lots of vacancies, which is very good for those seeking employment, but not so good if you're actually seeking for food processing and butchering in particular. And I don't think they realise either the skilled uh, job this is as well and I think that was the issue and also there was politics in it I think the Home Office decided well if we're very tight with these visas to start with uh, the industry will find enough process workers and butchers but of course that was never going to happen and I, I'm hoping that they have 
learnt their lesson. But certainly when um, the Home Office Minister, Kevin Foster, came before us, he was not very um, helpful, to say the least. And of course, if that's what the industry had to put up with, um, then I can understand why so much frustration. And also, he you know, had to correct the record on the level of English because he said it was lower than it was. He had to correct that afterwards. And I'm still trying to pursue the Home Office to adjust this English language requirement because that would make a real difference. It'd make a huge difference, wouldn't it? And as you say, you don't, you simply do not need the level of English required. Yeah, I mean, we need to talk about Kevin because he didn't exactly cover himself in glory in that, uh, in, in that appearance in front of your committee. Uh, it wasn't just about the English language, was it? He also had to uh, correct the record on the processes and how they'd used the skilled worker scheme. Now, to me, from a distance, it looked like he didn't really know what he was talking about. Well, I think what he did is he built his castle on on sand, basically, because of the, the facts that he was building his castle on, you know, sticking a, to a, a very rigid political position, which I didn't agree with. But you can understand why perhaps a minister, a home office minister might do that. The problem was that the, the, his foundations were, were unsound and what he actually was building it on was not correct. And I think that, again, you know, there just doesn't you just want the Home Office to be able to just sort of say, OK, we didn't get it all right. Uh, let's put it right. Uh, and let's realise, you know, if we don't get these pork, uh, you know, pork butchers in, we won't get the pigs slaughtered um, and we will have huge problems for the farmers. Um, and also we need food more than ever with the situation in the Ukraine. So all of those mm. things, you know, really put pressure back on the Home Office. And I, I just hope really, I mean, I, 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 you know, the whole idea of select committee reports is that they will take the government on. I'm a conservative, but I will take my own government on if I think it's in the wrong. And I think, you know, it's too much politics, too much. Um, oh, well, if, you know, if the but if the but if the uh, if we don't add enough on, uh, they'll find Labour from somewhere. Well, it is not happening. And we've seen the, the, the catastrophic effect it's had on the industry getting a little better now, but still much to be done. It has been absolutely catastrophic, and I, I, I've um, I seen your report. You quote the thirty-five thousand pigs that have been uh, culled that would have gone into the food chain, culled and destroyed. I think the real number is probably higher than that. My understanding is that's just the number that was reported to the National Pig Association. So it has been a. I mean, we had Boris Johnson laughing the situation off at the party conference. It, mm. it, it, this has happened. It's been it's been horrendous. It's added horrendous costs to the industry. One, uh, you look at that very closely. You you you've really taken on board that evidence. You talk about um, Defra uh, focusing its support directly towards producers rather than just the processors. That's something that must be overdue now, isn't it, Neil? I believe it is. I believe, you know, that countries across Europe have done it. Also, I think Wales and Scotland have done it. And I think it really is. And I think, you know, privately, I think the Secretary of State, George Eustace, would put too much faith. Uh, and I think he would admit that privately in uh, the processes to get the job done. And so he targeted the money at them. Uh, some of them were better than others. None of them came out exactly uh, smelling of roses. And I think, you know, if had we targeted the money at farmers, farmers, uh, even if it was the money for slaughter, um, then they mm -hmm. could have actually targeted that then towards processors. I've had a, um, you know, a local producer who have actually managed to sort of get some money now to send some pigs um, to Poland um, privately, basically. And so, you know, we 
the other issue for us in the pig industry, is it not, is that, that there is just not enough competition and you've got the sort of four mm. big processors literally having the market to themselves. And I, I think that's unhealthy in my view. And I think a lot of um, the... Uh, what, what happened over the past 12 months has exposed some of those relationships. You also recommend that uh, DEFRA and Victoria Apprentice bring forward their inquiry into the supply chain and how contracts work and all of that sort of thing. Uh, with, with some urgency, and you talk about the end of July, um, you're then yourself planning to uh, bring some of the processes in, in ill to, to, to put them in front of the, your, your MPs. Yes, I mean, I, I spoke actually just last week again to Victoria and said, look, whatever happens, we have got to look at these contracts. We've got to make sure that the price quoted by the processor um, will be honoured and also that they will take the pigs. And if there's, you know, in the in the poultry sector and many others, when feed it, feed prices go up, there's a deal between the processors and the re large retailers to up the price of the of, of the eggs or the poultry and I think that is necessary again in the pig industry and we also what is the case and, and some of the processes deny this but um, there seems to be evidence that some of the pig, produced pigs that are produced by themselves and owned by themselves uh, they appear to pay more for them than they do actually from the independent producer now if that is the case that is totally wrong um, so like I said I think there's a lot to be done here and, and we mustn't, you know, even if the situation gets a bit better, um, we mustn't forget what went on. And we've got to get these contracts right to try and stop this sort of perfect storm happening again. And, and I think, you know, we can do it. Uh, and what I want to happen is that for the, you know, for Victoria Apprentice to put a, 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 and get a, a flash out a proper contract with the processors and, and, and pig farmers, then going to have, you know, both processors and pig farmers back before the committee and say, right, guys, how is this going to work? Is it going to solve the problem? And have we got it right? And I think that's a job that a select committee can do well. It can certainly can. It's about transparency. Actually creating a single contract is not necessarily going to be the solution. But if we can get to a point where we have transparency and fairness, uh, yeah. more of both, that, 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 that's a good place. But there's a lot to talk about in a short time. In terms of solutions, so we've been through what was a massive crisis. Your report is very, very clear that this what happened is related to Brexit. Uh, it's the other factors as well. There's a pandemic as well. It is um, that that sudden change of policy has left us short of labour. We know that we know we need to move to a better long term solution, less reliant on labour. But let's look at some of the solutions that you talk about. I mean, the headline for me is you want We want you want we want just a sea change in how the foreign off, uh, the Home Office and perhaps DEFRA, how they approach these issues, uh, try and understand them and meet the industry. We've heard from Annette Batters, we've heard from Zoe Davis mm. at the MPA. It's very hard to actually meet the Home Office and to talk about this. Surely that's the starting point. We want the Home Office to engage directly in a room with the NFU, the MPA, the BMPA, the interested parties to understand the issue and find solutions that really work. Yes, because you see what's happened since we've left single market and we've left the European Union and, and you know, I'm not going to rerun Brexit. It's happened. But you see what it's done is it's thrown a spotlight on the Home Office that there is no longer 
free movement of people. So therefore, the Home Office does have to step up the plate to get these visas right, to get enough people in to do the processing. And that's why they must actually talk to the industry. See, up until then, they didn't really, the Home Office could largely sort of stay in the background when it came to meat processing and the like and picking vegetables in the field, because that was all done largely by, by free movement. Now that's stopped. Okay, you know, I'm not going to rerun it. We, we've done that. We've moved on. But the Home Office now is in the spotlight and they will need to talk to the industry and they will need to sort of, you know, literally have some sympathy for the situation mm. the industry is in rather than just have a, a sort of rhetoric um, and a position which, you know, we're big and tough and we're not going to move. Well, yes, you can take that stance. But of course, you know, we won't have an industry and, and we won't actually want more food produced now in this country, not less. We need to step up to the plate um, so that, you know, we can produce more of our own food. Then you, the situation over Ukraine, then if those developing countries need more food, they can take the food that we would have actually imported ourselves. So, you know, it's absolutely fundamental now that we, you know, the Home Office wakes up and as the saying goes, smells the coffee. Exactly. And, and the pork. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes. I mean, there's no doubt um, that how, how, how um, big, big this issue is. We've actually come very close to, to, to losing big chunks of the pig sector. It's still very much in, in, in jeopardy. And I just don't remember the part of the, the kind of the, the, the pro-Brexit, uh, the pre-Brexit uh, rhetoric that said, you know, that Brexit means uh, less food in this country, less, less, less choice for consumers. So I think they need just to be honest about that and, and, and address that. Now, you see, you, know, you see, I think, I think, I think, Alistair, if they, we get it right. Brexit doesn't need to be about less food, less home production. We've just got to bring in those workers when we need them, uh, have a proper controlled system with a visa system that's not so bureaucratic and not so expensive. Uh, and we can do all these things and we can actually produce more food. I'm not, you know, I'm not rerunning Brexit or, you know, the referendum again at all. What I want is to make Brexit work. And of course, if it's going to work and it will work, it has to work, uh, but Home Office has to do its part, basically. Absolutely, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, your um, committee is a cross-party committee. It's um, quite influential. You still got to, ultimately, the government's still got to respond to this report, hasn't it? It's got to respond to every single recommendation that you made. I mean, based on previous reports, based on what, on, on your evidence, I mean, how confident are you that the, the things that we've just talked about, the, the, the recommendations in your report, that they will actually come through, that the government will respond, will, will, will change its, um, will change its tune. I mean, have you got, you, you don't have political power in this, but you have influence, is that right? It is. I mean, it's wearing away stone sometimes. But what will happen is that they will they will report, you know, they will send back to us their ideas about our report. We then can debate it in Parliament, which we will. And so therefore, you know, it will continue and I will continue to put maximum pressure on both the Home Office and DEFRA. So as they collect their data, they collate it and they are up to date and they move on the situation that is current, not just sort of rest on their laurels and say it'll sort itself out because it obviously didn't and mm. we have had to, you know, move in the ways we have. So that's where I see it. I think we will get some movement. 
Um, home office is is largely very difficult to deal with, but I think they have a spotlight's really been put on them now, and I think they will have to remember that it is a new world, and the home office plays an important point part not just in immigration for people coming in and staying in the country, but ha having flexible requirements for labour, uh, for mm. processing and picking of vegetables, as well as you know keeping pigs and processing uh, poultry. All of this needs to be done. But you know, home office plays an important role now, which they didn't previously, and they must remember that and step up to the plate. And absolutely. And as you say, this isn't about rewriting Brexit. This is about mo still moving towards a, a longer term situation where we're less reliant on uh, migrant labour. But in order to we're not ready to get there yet, are we? In order to get there, we need all those things that you talked about. And we need a we do need that change in attitude uh, and understanding from home office. Uh, Neil, thank you. Thank you for talking to us. And uh, I think on behalf of the big industry for your uh, forensic work on this and, and, uh, and other issues and uh, you know we look forward to, to, to more of the same. Yeah well Alistair thank you for the interview um, and I am determined that the pig industry, pig farmers, producers uh, will get a fair deal and so let's work on it together. Great stuff, appreciate it and uh, no doubt uh, see you soon. <laughs> Well, I'm now joined by uh, Charlie Dewhurst from the National Pig Association and uh, Nick Allen from the British Meat Processors Association. Uh, welcome both. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, and uh, obviously we're going to carry on the theme of uh, the labour shortages in, the, in, in light of the EFRA report. But I mean, first of all, to kick off, uh, Nick, uh, where do we stand from your perspective uh, with the situation in, in, in plants with, with the backlog. Uh, the slaughter numbers for the past few weeks seem to be up and we actually seem to be uh, making progress now. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we, we are. It does seem that way. The certain numbers been up for five or six weeks now. So um, we're starting to make uh, some headway into the um, uh, into the backlog. Uh, We've been getting a steady trickle of extra labour coming through through the skilled visa system, which has been helping. Uh, and of course, the um, uh, slaughter and centre sort of premium uh, has has been encouraging sort of people to sort of put in on extra sort of days sort of or half days or extra hours sort of killing. Um, that, the, the concern really is a combination of COVID is still doing its damage in the plants in terms of num uh, staff numbers, uh, and and the guys are working some incredibly long hours at the moment to sort of catch up, and you, you can only do do that for so long but touch wood at the moment you know we're starting to make some progress at long last oh is there any way of gauging it i mean we heard a and i heard an estimate from defra of uh, i think it was down they thought it was down to sixty thousand. the mpa charlie said it was a bit higher than that 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 was a few weeks ago uh do you i mean is it possible to gauge is there any um anything you can say about that or does it just feel uh, better on, on, on farming it, it feels better and and we tend to sort of gauge it or all our, our members tend to gauge it on actually the way to the pigs coming through which sort of starts starting to sort of creep down a little bit uh so that tells you as much as anything as to whether you're making some progress or not is um but it's very difficult to put a handle on on the numbers you know really sort of charlie at the npa has probably got the best handle of the lot on it because he's speaking to farmers all the time i mean charlie how do you see it from from the backlog uh, point of view we, we saw that the, um, people have probably seen the cameron norton piece on uh, on channel four news and it feels like he's they're very much still in the middle of it how, how do you see it charlie from, from the producer side 
I think if you're looking at overall, it is an improved picture, but it's a mixed picture. Um, I think it depends on which processor you're you're supplying. Um, so we've got some farms really are almost back to where they should be, whereas others are, are left with significant backlogs, and it's going to take some time to get get those down. But I, I think we'll also start to see um, as we as the contraction of the sow herd kicks in to the other end of the supply chain, we'll start to see a drop off in supply, and, and that that too should aid the the backlog. Which is going to be one of the great ironies of this, isn't it? Both. I mean, <laughs> for ages we've had. Too many pigs, and now, uh, well, I would imagine it, people are going to be uh, screaming out for pigs in not too long because obviously, we saw from last summer people started to reduce herds, some people have gone out. Um, you know, we might we, we might have a completely different market outlook soon. I, I don't know, if Nick wants to sort of come in aware for the process side, but certainly for the producer side, yeah. I mean, we, we estimate that around 10% of the English sow herd has already gone or is going out, and um, that's bound to affect uh, the number of, of pigs on the market. That, uh, that that's right i think that's the, that, that's the feeling we're getting and and there's an air of inevitability about all of this isn't it that the, the the pig cycle is off again you know so it, it's uh uh and uh you you really hope um that that you know so we can we can somehow sort of find a way sort of forward that stops these ups and downs and these uh uh these cycles are so damaging to everyone Absolutely. I mean, yeah, this is we might this might be one of the more extreme uh, cycles that we've seen. Uh, and, and Charlie, obviously, the the backlog has been the story for so long, and uh, and it, while it's still very much there, it's easing. But that isn't the story now, is it? Of course, it's about input costs. It's all about input costs. Um, horrendous situation on many farms. People, well, a month or so ago, maybe less. Many people absolutely on the brink. Uh, we've seen some improvement in the market, but obviously, uh, we need to go further, don't we? We do. I mean, the financial situation is, is is dire because you've been through four quarters of 2021 where you're losing money um, on average around 25 pounds a pig over that last year. It was as bad as 39 pounds a pig in quarter four. Uh, there's no doubt that following what's happened in Ukraine, that it's a far greater um, cost of production with the input costs rising as they are. So, so farmers who were already struggling and already having difficult conversations with bank managers um you know really have got nowhere to turn and that's really what we need to sort out urgently right now absolutely and and only individual farmers can answer this we we can't we, we can't kind of second guess what's happening within individual businesses but we at least a few weeks ago started to see the processor contribution prices going up and the SPP, albeit slowly, has followed. I mean, from what you're picking up, do you get the sense that that is just encouraging people to stay in that might otherwise have gone out? It's giving it's a kind of it's kind of a lifeline. It's some light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I think it, it's certainly an improvement, isn't it? it? You know, if you can see the prices going up, you can perhaps see a way out of this, even though you're still losing money. So. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of what we've been looking towards for some time, whether it was with the backlog or, or the impacts of, of what's happened in Ukraine, is, is to, to see what the end game is. Where, where can we see the light at the end of the tunnel? Where Where's that t- corner going to be turned? So that, that's really what we're trying to get to, is to ensure that you know there's a fair price being paid so that people can say with a degree of certainty that it might not be this month or next month, but at a certain point, they're back yeah. into a profitable situation. And at least, first of all, break even. Nick, now I've heard this from a few farmers, and you won't be surprised to hear this. Um, I- and also, I know you can't speak for individual processes. We saw some big hikes in contribution prices in the last few weeks when the situation looked desperate, when, the, when it looked like we were going to lose a big chunk of the, of the pork supply chain. 
producers have been saying to me, well, why didn't this come earlier? Why did we have to wait until this moment? I mean, I'm sorry to put you, put you on the spot like this, but do you understand why people are, are, are asking that very question? What, what, what do you mean? Why, why the prices are going up now? Or, or... Yeah, why is it taking so long? Why has why it taken until literally... There was, a, there was a Friday, wasn't there, in, in, in um, a few weeks ago, when suddenly all the, all the prices went up. But why is it taking so long for, for, for the supply chain to act like that? When, well, when the situation has been difficult for so long? Yeah, I, well, I think we have a sort of dampened situation in this country, so don't we? Because for, for a long time, the uh, UK price has been well ahead of the European price. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, we just saw the European sort of price absolutely sort of rocket up. Uh, and to a degree, whilst uh, I think everyone says, oh, we want to stay ahead of the Euro European price, just at the moment, um, uh, it's probably better that actually we stay behind the European price and actually uh, that, and, and can shift it on the, on, on the home market. Uh, but I, mm. I, I have no, I, it's one of the great bafflements for me is, is where the SPP sort of comes from and how it's calculated and how everyone arrives. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I, I do hope out of actually the debrief that comes out of all of this that actually there's a, uh, an industry discussion to yeah. look at actually how, how do we actually find a way of reflecting markets yeah. or prices in this country sensibly. Well, it's, it's a very, it is a very hot topic and you're not alone in, in, in wondering. And I think the reality of the SPP is uh, that this, is, this comes from AHDB. It, it is, of course, ultimately just a price average and it wasn't necessarily intended uh, to be linked to, to to be to set the big price, it, it's more a meant to be a reflection of it. Now that keep, that great gives stability, but as you say, it doesn't help when the market's going up. It doesn't. It cannot react uh, quickly enough. Uh, among Zoe, I've heard, I've had Zoe and um, uh, Steve Ellis from Caro have both expressed those sentiments, Nick, uh, about uh, whether you could. We can find a, a more responsive mechanism, but it's not easy, is it, Charlie? Because for some producers, I know you're from a pig farming family, they embrace the almost the stability of the SPP. So, is it is it quite as straightforward as saying we need to just move away from it? I mean, do you have any kind of producer perspective on, on, on that? What, what what do you think the answer is? I mean, you're right in the sense that, that producers are often grateful that when the price crashes, let's say in the EU, that we've got some time before that sort of filters through. Um, and, and HDB will tell you that despite what you kind of feel, that it, it goes up as quickly as it comes down, even though it often feels like it goes up slowly and comes down quicker. Um, as yet, I don't think anybody's come up with a sort of a, a, a brilliant solution and an alternative. So, but I think you're right in the sense that it wasn't designed as a as a price setting mechanism it was a price reporting mechanism it's become a price setting mechanism in the contracts so perhaps that you know it does need to be reviewed there might be a better way forward um sat here right now i don't have that solution there well i don't think anybody does and i think kind of yeah. there's so many elements aren't there there's there's a this cost of production uh, there is the, the spp uh, and the tribune and there's all sorts of other things that you could add in and i guess uh, we're kind of moving on to the, the fairness in the supply chain review, whether that will shed any light, bring some clarity, uh, maybe be a basis of, of, for discussion going forward. Uh, we'll, we'll wait to see. I mean, what do you think about the fairness in the uh, supply chain review, Nick? Do you think that good is going to come out of it? Well, look, I, I think when you've gone through a crisis like we've been through and it's got so dire, you've got to have a, 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 a really hard look at what's gone on, what's happened 
and how how can we avoid this in the future because there's there's no one in the industry wanted this to happen and it wants to go go the way it is uh i i really wish i had some uh, the, the construction a bit like charlie actually i don't know what the answer is here but we, we must have a serious look at uh, uh and a debrief in terms of what happened what went wrong here and actually how how do we avoid it happening in the future yeah and i mean there's more of that in in um we've just spoken to neil parish uh before uh you, you guys uh came on uh he i think his report was excellent i think i mean the effera under neil is very thorough it it knows the industry has come up with some good stuff over the years this is one of the hardest hitting reports that it's come up with on on labor shortages and i think if there's one kind of key line in that it's that for too long on the on the issue specifically of labor shortages the government has really had its fingers in its ears it's not really wanting to engage it's not wanting to listen it's not wanting to accept that there's any policy flaw and it's therefore not responded to what's been happening in processing plants and across the food industry so i mean everyone nick especially you you must be really pleased you must really hope that the the kind of core recommendation of the government just needs to sit down with the industry listen and be more responsive i mean that is surely the right recommendation something we all want to see Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Home Office formed the Migratory Advisory sort of Committee to advise them, and then they sort of chose to ignore the advice. And you think, what is the point in in ha having these people, these experts, look at the sort of job? And that, you know, the Migratory Advisory Committee flagged that we had a problem in our part of the industry, as they did in a number of other sort of sectors, and that was completely ignored. So it's utterly frustrating, and it is a great report. Yeah. I, I've never seen quite such a hard hitting report. It's superb, um, isn't it? Uh, you, you know, in terms of it, and and uh, you really hope the Home Office are, are sort of uh, taken on on board the comments and listen. But uh, you have to say, if you watch what's happened over the last month with the Ukraine crisis and Ukraine uh, immigrants trying to sort of come here, it's actually highlighted, you know, just how difficult the Home mm. Office, and the bureaucracy in the Home Office uh, is. And you know, whilst Neil's touched on. Uh, the English language issue uh, as a barrier. There's a whole host of other sort of barriers that come with the process. Uh, unless you're actually involved in it, it's unbelievable the process you have to go through to get someone into this country, which I'm sure is great consolation to the Brexiteers, but it's no consolation to someone trying to keep the food industry running. Absolutely not. And that, well, and when we saw the consequences of that last year, didn't we? I mean, just in terms of the engagement with home office well both of you charlie and and nick i mean what efforts have you made to reach ministers and how for, i mean pritch patel i guess is fairly out of reach i don't know about kevin foster how have you got on kind of trying to get your messages across <laughs> do you want me to go first look i mean we tried very hard uh, to make our case to the home office um the door was not uh, open or indeed ajar with that. We, we had a real problem battling, I think, um, some of the ideology within the migratory policy. Um, whereas I think, to be fair to DEFRA, they were looking at it from a more practical sense and would have been um, willing to pull those levers if they were if it was under their control. I, I think mm. one of, whatever, your, whatever your view on Brexit, it, it does give you control over your own migration. Um, and, and, and that should allow you to re respond to the, the shocks that we've had over the last 18 months in, in a more flexible manner and to react quickly to them. Um, so hopefully some good may have come out, come out of this report and that the Home Office does look at that again and says, actually, we can recognise where we have these problems. We weren't asking for 
you know, you know, despite what you might have read in some of the media, that we weren't, no one was asking for freedom of movement. You know, we were asking for a few hundred butchers, um, and surely that's not an insurmountable request. So, so hopefully, some good will come of it. Um, but that remains to be seen. Nick, what about you? How did yeah, you get on? the same the same story really. The door was absolutely slammed shut. Very unapproachable as a farmer. And when you talk to Minette Batters, who is the president of the NFU, and she'll tell you she's been asking for a meeting with the Home Office for nearly three years now, and not got one. This is the president of the NFU, the largest you know farming organisation in the you know uh, massive organisation, and even she sort of can't get uh, uh, an audience with them. So they're very unapproachable. So I'm really glad Neil Paris's reporters are mm. uh, really emphasized just uh, how difficult they are as a department to, to deal with and i think another part of this uh, which the which they highlighted brilliantly in the report kevin foster's appearance he didn't exactly cover himself in glory did he he, he kind of made some claims about the pork processes that weren't actually correct he had to correct that he made some comments about the english language requirement he didn't uh, he had to correct that as well. He hadn't understood it. And you just wonder sometimes about how engaged they really are and how much they care about the whole process. And, and I think we saw Boris's comments at the party conference when he laughed off the, the kind of the pig crisis. Some of George Eustace's comments, although Defra has been working hard behind the scenes, we know that. Some of George Eustace's actual commentary hasn't been helpful. I mean, it's just they just need to engage with it, don't they? I, I, I absolutely I, I totally you know I won't go over what you've just said about Kevin Foster because he summed it up so sort of nicely really it, it, it portrayed a, a, the height of arrogance really and we were extremely miffed and he had to write and correct those things um, but even his letter of, of correction wasn't really that conciliatory really. Um, you know it, I, I agree with you though know, DEFRA have tried hard sort of during all of this and it, but it it frustrates me as a sort of a voter um, that you almost see government departments working against one another and there doesn't seem to be any joined up sort of government and we're, we're seeing this more and more um uh that, that they're just not so sort of work, working together as departments um uh you know sort of to, to work and you know, but i i i would say you know that george uses in his department that they they have on the whole been on side even though they've often had to be the conveyors to us of bad news so let's look at where we are now then we obviously last year um well, the report documented it, didn't it? It was a half a million vacancies in the food and farming sector. You, uh, for, in terms of pork, it was at 10, 11,000 uh, 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 vacancies for butchers. Uh, yeah. Very, very hard to, 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 um, very hard to fill those places. There are all sorts of claims about processes not doing enough. Some of it might have been true. I don't know. Um, you know, until you actually know the full detail, who knows? But... There were claims about processes not doing enough. But ultimately, as you said, the skilled worker route was incredibly hard to access. The temporary, the temporary visas didn't really work. Then you had COVID. Yeah, obviously you had COVID on top of the Brexit policy. Things have changed, haven't they, uh, in terms of the skilled worker route, at least. Can you just um, fill us in on that, Nick, in terms uh of numbers and where we are now? That, that, that's right. We were starting to see a steady stream, really. And, and, and it, was, it was a lag at the beginning. I mean, one of our members, I think it took them sort of five months to actually get 
on the list on the home office list so that they can actually start to operate yeah. the team. Uh, and and it's still taking sort of four to five months from finding someone to probably sort of getting them here. You you've done really well if you've That's got far really, too long, isn't it? Weeks. But but yeah, but what you've got now is we we we've caught up there. So as, if everyone keeps going and keeps working at it, you'll have this sort of steady stream coming through. So you you almost start to sort of live with this this massive sort of delay that sort of goes on. Uh, and and of course the cost that goes with it. It's there's um when we get accused of actually well. Just just pay people more and you'll get them. Uh, people, um, I, I, people are sort of paying more, but to go down this route costs you about £10,000 to bring someone here. Mm -hmm. So you, you you don't embark on that lightly if you think actually we, we could actually just pay people a bit more at home and sort of get them here. So, um, But now now this system is starting to work. Whilst it's a grind and it takes ages to do and costly, it, the, 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 the slow cog is moving and bringing a, a, a series of, sort of people through. Mm -hmm. really. And then everyone's having to keep going at that and keep the people coming. Um, and, yes. At the same time, I would say that actually quite a few people are working hard to actually try and recruit people and train people and bring more people in because we, we you know, we, we, we must try harder to actually get British people to do these jobs and get young people into the industry. And I think we have to address this, uh, uh, this issue as well, which I mean, it's been part of the kind of kind of claim and counterclaim, but I'm sure there's something in it. Do you accept that when you had almost unlimited access to EU labour, that it was coming in too cheaply? your members weren't paying enough. I'm talking about maybe time gone by, but the fairly recent past, do you accept that? But do you now, I mean, and then from there, where do you stand on claims that you're still not paying enough? I, 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 the, the, the pay issue, I, no, I don't think I do really. And sort of say it's never been actually about cheap labour. It's actually been about getting people to do this sort of a job. Um, uh, you know, sort of, and, and uh, you know, so, and I don't think the actually increases of pay, so they, they certainly haven't attracted more people in the, the the wages have gone up because everyone else's wages have gone up and one's just had to go with it and match it so i don't believe it's ever been about pay but it's much more complicated than that it's actually getting people in the right place and getting people that wanting wanting to do this work you know because mm. the housing issue it's not as i say it's get uh get, getting them sort of close to these sort of plants and actually being able to sort of um uh ha have the housing and things like that with the housing costs in this sort of country so uh as I say, I don't believe it's necessarily been about pay. It's just been about finding the people to do the work. And there's no doubt about it. It's there's been this steady stream coming in from the um, uh, eastern side of Europe uh, that probably made it very easy to go down that route. Less so now. And Charlie, from a producer point of view, whatever the cause is, and obviously Brexit's been a cause, and uh, and COVID, and you, you know there may be issues with the processes, there may not. Farmers have felt incredibly vulnerable and have felt a massive sense of injustice that they have taken this enormous hit for problems in government and problems in the supply chain. And that's been really the, on top of the actual financial and practical issues, it, that side of it has weighed heavily on the in industry, hasn't it? That sense of injustice. It has. And I, I mean, I think that's just a reflection often on how these supply chains work in that obviously the, the problems are fed down to, to, the, to the bottom level, to the producer level. And you're left uh, holding the pigs as such, but you know, hopefully, you know, as we say, we as we look at this this supply chain review, and and, and the, hopefully, government takes that forward constructively. We can build in some safeguards, and I, that doesn't mean you know screwing over one side of the supply mm -hmm. chain over the other. It means we've got 
better contractual frameworks uh, between producers and processors, processors and retailers, so that when we are faced with these unexpected circumstances or indeed expected circumstances that are having a detrimental impact, that there's some protection across the, ch the chain from, yeah. from top to bottom. That's really what we need. It's yeah. not uh, not looking for one one side to punish another. Uh, we don't want government mandated contracts. You know, um, we want a, a better framework. We want everyone protected um, as best they can be. And a bit more transparency mm. as to kind of who's well, uh, yeah. how the price is created and who's doing what and whose responsibility is it uh, when things go wrong. And as we've seen in the last well few years, we've had so many external events that, that, that you know that's just created such uh, kind of shocks in the market and we somehow need a bit of safety on all sides there don't we yeah uh, that's it i mean it's it, it, it ultimately as we've seen that the cost largely has fallen onto the producers that not just the financial cost but the, the mental cost uh, the cost mm. of of having to cull healthy animals on farms and, and that should never have happened now i appreciate that the processes were in a, left in a difficult situation and, and we're, we're most likely doing their best um, but in future we need to make sure that there is just that that protection so that uh, there is some recourse um yeah. and it's and it, when, when we don't let find ourselves again losing another 10 percent, 15 percent of the yeah. industry in, in these sort of downturns and we still don't know where this is going to end up i mean as you say the prices prices are going up now that may or may not uh, stem the tide we, we just don't know that i mean this is a kind of a technical point but it's i think it's kind of quite relevant from neil's report uh he wants the defra's review to conclude was it end of july i think the point mm -hmm. being that a review isn't any good if it goes on too long when the industry needs answers now i mean is that a realistic aim <laughs> knowing is <laughs> Okay, we we'll call it ambitious then. Okay, but but we want it to be as we want it to be as completed as as quickly as possible, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I appreciate you know that the, the cogs of government turn slowly. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I think that for them to conclude the review by July would be very ambitious. Right, I think, okay. I think if they, you know, because we've got a consultation period, which in itself would last eight weeks, for example. So that, that, that's going to take some time. Um, if we could get something by the end of the year. And, I, and as I say, the, the wider, the wider review is about creating a better framework in future for how the supply chain works and, and mm -hmm. ensuring, you know, you know, as we know from, from the work we've done on this already, there are, there are simply cases of producers who barely have a contract. You know, there are, there are sort of, uh, agreements uh, done almost by handshake still um, and that of course leaves you open to to, to shocks um, so all of that sort of thing so we everyone's working in a, a more transparent and on a better legal framework um, that would be the ideal I think yeah uh, and in terms of some of the specifics in the report and again we keep getting back to this report but there is so much in it that are that is a genuinely achievable and genuinely of value obviously some of the response has been well yeah African write a great report, but the government can and probably will ignore it. But there are some things in there that are, that are actually very easily achieved. Number one, uh, the effort call for compensation for pig farmers. Now, you have been calling for that for a long time. The, the, all the emphasis so far has been on the processor. Look, am I right thinking you've written again to, to DEFRA to just say, look, everyone else has had some, some government financial support why shouldn't we yeah absolutely it's it's about creating an equitable compensation scheme it's, it's has been the challenge i think really it's not that it's ensuring that if there is compensation it's going to the people who are hardest hit um and that has been 
part of government's pushback to us. Obviously, the money is always an issue, um, but it, I don't think that's insurmountable if Scotland and Northern Ireland are able to to implement compensation schemes, as have France, Belgium, Holland, Poland, you know, the Netherlands. Um, they themselves are all um, using temporary state aid. So, so I think I think that is something that could really, really, you know, keep the wolf from the door for for some of these hardest hit processes. Oh, it's producers, sorry, yes. you are hard. Yeah. <laughs> producers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think if, um, if you know, a lot of this is caused by some flaws in government policy, and I think it's completely reasonable to expect that mm. alone to, 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 to be uh, to, to, to come in the form of some conversation for producers. Uh, Nick, other elements that are easily done, the English language requirement and the adding more um, categories to the uh, shortage occupation list, namely butchers. Nothing to stop those two things happening now, is there? Or, or am I just being not, naive? Not, no, not at all. They, they're, they're things that they could uh, implement straight away. Um, I suspect they will wait for the Migratory Advisory Committee to sort of meet again and, and look at these things and make some recommendations. Uh, and, but, and then ignore them. <laughs> well, I hope not. I hope yeah, it has, not. has been learned, you know, but certainly, uh, and the English language, this, I, I mean, our process, not just in the pork process, is right across the industry. We have sort of said to government, look, instead of actually making them sort of go through this sort of test, we're happy to take on the responsibility for teaching them sort of English, mm. uh, you know, sort of get, you know uh, get them here and actually sort of get them let's teach some English in this country, let's do the tests in this country, let's have the, the money from the, to going to the contractors that run these tests staying in this country rather than all of this going abroad at the moment and being very complicated. So, um, but you, you know, there's a bit, that, that sort of offer seems to sort of fall on sort of deaf ears really in terms of um, uh, sort of making some progress on, on the English language side, you know. So, uh, and, and certainly, yes, having having a, a wider list of people that could come here, but it's, um, yeah. uh, but also, so, as I said earlier, I, I do hope that uh, we can persuade the Home Office to address some of their, their whole processing issues, that, you know, the whole process uh, issues that they've got, which has been exposed by the Ukraine sort of crisis as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's, that's been so obvious. You just have to wonder how much of that is um, embedded ideology in the Home Office and how much is just, I don't know, his incompetence probably being a bit harsh, but how much of that is just <laughs> not coping with the systems very well. Uh, and ultimately, uh, as we kind of draw this to a close, I think, and again, the EFRA report is clear on this, ultimately we do as an industry, as a food and farming industry and, and within the processing plants need to move to a system where we are less reliant on migrant labour, whether that's through technology uh, or, or more people from, from the UK taking on those roles that, that are made more attractive. But we just can't get there overnight, can we? And I think can I, I mean, just from you, Nick, I'm taking it there is a will to get there, but I mean, how, you know, without, <laughs> in the short time we have left, how do we get there? I mean, certainly there's a will to do it. And you look at all the process of implementing sort of training programs and things like that. But boy, this is, I, I hate to say it, this is going to be slow progress. When you look at the amount of job vacancies we've got in this country at the moment, uh, unless sort of something alters, you know, and, and people haven't got uh, um, all, all these other things they can do, it's going to be slow progress, I'm afraid. I, I, I'd like to say, you know, I... I I'd be delighted if, uh, you, you know, sort of in, in, in five years' time, uh, you know, we're looking at a sort of a completely different picture. But I think that's a time scale we'd be looking at. And, and even with that, we yeah. need to win. There is another element to this. Uh, are your members 
what sort of rate of, of technology uh, adoption are we seeing? I mean, I'm, I don't know if everyone's totally comfortable with this in terms of replacing labor, but obviously there is a kind of need for it here. Uh, are we seeing enough of that in your sector, uh, technological advancements think, within the plants? Yeah, I, I think people would be quite surprised at all in plants, around plants, just how much technology there is already in there and being invested, you know, and, and uh, you know, you think of one company, we all know who they are, so it's, it's spent hundreds of millions of pounds yeah. in the last few years on, on, on improved technology. So, and it's and undoubtedly all the talk is look we've got to if, where we can we're going to find ways to do this um uh but equally to invest in that sort of technology you you, you need confidence you know and uh right the way through the food supply chain at the moment the, the, there's a there's a lack of confidence and actually there's a general belief that this come this government don't really want much of a food industry in this country you know so when that's uh, yeah you could desperately do with the government sending a few mm. more positive signals out to encourage us all. Well, that's kind of been at the heart of this, hasn't it, Charlie? I mean, that's an interesting place to kind of conclude because, I mean, we have to believe that the government believes in the in, in the food industry. What we've seen with some of the some of the stuff that's happening happened recently, including some of the trade deals that maybe open up our markets to others and give us very little in return, doesn't give you a lot of confidence does it so where charlie where do you see a the government's position on all of this and where do you see in sorry this is a big kind of <laughs> kind of question to end but uh, and secondly uh, you know where do you see with everything uh, with, with with the improved um, uh, market where do you see the kind of the outlook for producers at the moment I, mean, I think obviously there are some issues with trade deals potentially obviously with canada ongoing at the moment there's larger pig producers but i think if you just look at the bigger picture if some good can come out of the bad you know of the pandemic of, of, of russia's invasion of ukraine and everything else it's to remind the government of the importance of food security um and if we can get that back onto the table and that in that into the mm. forefront of their minds perhaps that actually it you know over the medium to long term um creates a better picture for for british agriculture and also i think what we've seen is that the agriculture industry won't just lie down and take this and i think there has to be an you know an awareness within government. I mean, again, slightly going off off piece, but um, I think the CLA put out an interesting little survey that showed that kind of once shored up conservative support in the in the rural in the rural constituencies isn't there anymore. And I think there needs to be an awareness just how serious this whole situation is. Absolutely, as you say, and and let's hope that. That as the you know as the effort report says that it does uh, awaken a, you know a, a much more of an awareness about food security and about future production in the industry. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's something that hopefully will always focuses the mind of any government, doesn't it? Um, polling. <laughs> so, yes, polling. So I think, um, yeah, nothing, nothing changes behaviour yeah. quite like a bad poll. No, um, polling and uh, food shortages and rising food prices. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. So indeed. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, both, uh, thank you very much. Uh, and um, yeah, it's been a great discussion. And let's hope that from all of this and, you know, with the help of the effort report that we do see uh, some, some changes within government. I appreciate your time both very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to the latest Pigs Today podcast brought to you by Pig World. You can keep up to date with all the latest information, news and analysis on the pig industry situation on our website. And please don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Yes.